continuing our series of messages from the book of Hebrews. We started some months ago. This morning we're going to talk about Moses, the faith of Moses. Tonight we're going to talk about the faith of Israel. So give your attention to the reading of the Word of God from Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 23. Verse 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered reproach, the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Heavenly Father, bless your understanding, the reading and, and application of your infallible and errant word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The writer of Hebrews continues to illustrate his main point. His main point uh, throughout the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better than anything in this world. I, I prefer the more modern term that Jesus is the greatest of all time in every area and every arena. He, the writer, uh, our preacher, if you prefer, I do think that much of this was a sermon or a collection of sermons that he preached. Uh, doing what any master expositor of scripture does, he illustrates his points by using scripture. It is, that means that God chooses to explain to us the history of this world, how it came to be, how we came to be in it, how sin and ruin came to this world, and how God, uh, from eternity past, determined by his predetermined plan to save a people for, for himself. We move now from the book of Genesis that he has uh, spent so much uh, time in, the first uh, half of this, uh, this chapter 11, to the book of Exodus, from the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, Jacob and Joseph, to the life of Moses. On Sunday night, we saw that Joseph had gone down to Egypt, and the people of Israel had settled there, and for over 400 years had grown numerous and prosperous, and yet we learned that there arose a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph and had forgotten him, and proceeded to put the children of Israel in extreme 
bondage. Moses is born to his Jewish parents in Egypt. And there had risen this wicked Pharaoh, this wicked king of Egypt, who saw how prosperous the Jews had become and decided that there were too many of them and ordered the midwives to murder all the male children. And we know that, I hope you know the story in Exodus chapter 1, Exodus chapter 2, how Moses' parents refused to obey a wicked governmental decree. So the first thing we see is not the faith of Moses. We see the faith of Moses' parents who refused to obey the order to let the midwives. And we also look back in that chapter, we see the, the faith of the Egyptian midwives who refused to obey the king's order as well. And so Moses is taken and he's put into a, a basket and he's set out into uh, the water, uh, waters of the Nile, and along comes by God's providence, Pharaoh's daughter, and sees that the child is beautiful as his parents had seen him as beautiful and rescued him and had uh, and hired, um, hired um, the midwives uh, and actually hired Moses' mother to care for him. The incredible picture of the providence of God. It's interesting in examining this uh, this life, how how Joseph, who had fled fled to Egypt to uh, be uh, to uh, keep his family from starving, keep the nation of Israel from being destroyed, how you have this counterbalance of of Moses being saved out of out of the Nile in order to be the king and leader of Egypt. So many intersections in the Bible between Egypt and God's people. Just pay attention to that when you're reading through the word of God. It's, it is an amazing providence how God has raised that up. Especially during this uh, time when we focus so much around, around the events of the life of Christ. Remember that Joseph and Mary took Lord Jesus to Egypt to keep from being slaughtered by another wicked king, Herod. So here it is, that, that gospel story reverses this story. It's an amazing thing. The point of application I want to make for this today is this. You should disobey unlawful orders from the government. If the government tells us to do something wicked and evil, we should disobey. I don't know if they still teach this in basic training. They did when I went through basic training in the Army. You are not to follow an unlawful <coughs> order. If someone tells you to do something contrary to what is right, you are obligated to disobey. Some of you 
some of you seasoned citizens remember uh, very well the My Lai incident in Vietnam when uh, soldiers followed orders to destroy a village wholesale. And they were disciplined, they were court-martialed, as they should have been. The whole Nazi Holocaust was, a, was about a whole nation following wicked, unlawful orders to murder the Jewish people and others, and many others. You're obligated by conscience not to obey unlawful orders. Moses' parents show their faith by refusing to obey the decree of Pharaoh. We are called to obey God and not men. The apostles, when they're, when they're commanded to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, say, say no, we will obey God and not stop preaching in this name that we are called to preach. The result of faithful parenting, the result of, of seeking to please God first was that Moses was raised up to be the deliverer of God's people by God's providential uh, arrangement. In verse 24, we see that Moses' faith was such that it caused him, even though he was raised in, in, the, in the king's palace, even though he, he uh, possibly was the heir to the throne of Egypt, chose rather, and our text is very plain about this, no, that's not a misprint in my outline. That he chose rather to follow Christ. Verse 26 makes it really clear. He, chose, he considered the reproach of Christ to be greater wealth than any of the treasures of Egypt. reason I chose that hymn. I, I do try my best to choose music that relates to the text. And one of, one of, obviously one of your favorites, and Jay Noe couldn't help but be over, overwhelmed by the beauty of Be Thou My Vision, especially about Abraham's uh, faith and his vision. But it applies to the faith of, of all these. And notice in the text, over and over, it's about seeing. It's about Witnessing what God has done by faith, seeing and understanding what is invisible. And it is about identity. Um, I'll de demonstrate my age, but there's a, there was a uh, saying when I was growing up, when you they don't know if they use this anymore. Probably it's uh, long past its uh, shelf life. But when someone was just goofing off and not not uh, acting right, you would tell them, "Why don't you get a life? <laughs> why don't you do something real with your life?" Well, Moses had a life. He 
was the prince of Egypt. He had a column. He had power. He had position. He had prestige. He had wealth beyond what any of us could imagine. He chose to give it away. He could have luxuriated in his identity as a prince of Egypt. He could have enjoyed all the worldly pleasures that the greatest culture and society on the face of the earth at the time offered him. But rather, he chose, our text tells us, the reproach of Christ. He chose to suffer for the sake of identifying with the people of God. We, we are, the, the use of the word identity is um, rather, looms rather large in the discussion of our family and churches. So if you're not familiar with that, you, you won't know what I'm talking about. It still applies. We, we do, we, we understand that, that culture. You, you who follow a sports team, you identify with your team. And that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having your, your identification with your employment, what you do. This is your life. This is who you are. It's understandable. But Moses understood that for him to identify as a prince of Egypt meant for him to forsake Christ. If your identity is wrapped up in anything other than the person of Jesus, you are in mortal, spiritual danger. That's the application the writer is making to these Hebrew uh, um, background Christians who are being tempted to, to run away from their faith in Christ in order to be delivered from uh, the Roman authorities. And perhaps in some cases, the, the Jewish authorities in collusion with the Roman authorities to, to, to strip them of their inheritance, of their life, and possibly even uh, their very life. One of the things we'll come to at the end of Hebrews is, is this constant thing that Jesus Christ is always the same. It, this is one of those great books where you see the covenant. You see the eternal uh, deity of Christ. The writer will say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There never was a time where Jesus was not the eternal Son of God because God is eternal and Jesus is God. We believe in one God who exists eternally in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Do I understand that mystery? Certainly not. But I know it's true. Because God's word reveals it to be true. 
And here we see how true it is because it, we're told by the word of God that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth of the treasures of Egypt for he was looking for the reward. The other application of the text is that faith produces self-denial. It produces suffering. We, we so often misrepresent the Christian life. Uh, believe in Jesus and all your wildest dreams will come true. It's like, a, it's like some like um, culture mantra. I, I love sports, but I always dread the uh, sports narratives of, of well-meaning young men and sometimes women who after they accomplished something great said, how'd you do that? Well, we believed in ourselves. And, and they probably don't mean it in a, in a, in a, in a way that I, I understand it. But it's antithetical to the gospel. Because the truth is we have nothing. We have received nothing unless we have been given it to been given it, it's been given to us by grace through faith alone in Christ. The writer of Hebrews is urging his fellow Hebrew background believers to forsake the pleasures of this world for the joy of suffering with Christ. For the glory of being rejected by family and friends. I said on, on Christmas Eve our service um, I, I agree with Charles Spurgeon. It's usually on safe. If I agree with John Calvin or Charles Spurgeon, I'm usually on, on safe. <laughs> but, but, but I agree with them, uh, Charles Spurgeon, on the importance of Christmas for family, for, for, the, for the purpose of uh, being reunited with family. On that basis alone, it's, it's something that we should keep. So, so often, though, in those family gatherings, there comes tension. And, um, I know, I know this is true because I, I, uh, I have a lot of requests for prayer this time of year along these lines. Some of them are mine. Because <laughs> the Lord Jesus said, "Adamly." If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and children, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the prestige of being the prince of Egypt, than all the gilded gold and treasures of Egypt because we're told in our text he was looking for the reward. Not all the opulent wealth of, the, of, of that nation or any nation is worthy to be compared to the reward of being a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. 
doesn't matter how much land you possess, how big your house is, how big your portfolio is at the end of the day, all that matters is that, that, that you belong to Christ. A history of missions is written large with those who've understood that, who've given up everything in order to follow him. Perhaps no one more great a missionary than the Apostle Paul himself, probably not. And what did the Apostle Paul, who was once Saul of Tarsus, once the, the uh, leading theologian of the Jewish nation, what did he say in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 9? I count this all as loss. He said something much stronger. For the riches, in comparison to the riches of Christ, I was two years old when a young Wheaton College graduate named Jim Elliott went to the Aka Indians, who were the savage tribe down in South America, and they told him, they're probably going to kill you, Jim. And he said, the most famous thing a missionary, a modern missionary I've ever read, he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Fourth, we see the faith of Moses. So Moses chose to leave Egypt in order to share the reproach of Christ with his people as he led them out of Egypt. And then last point is the faith of Moses in leaving Egypt. It says in verse 27, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endureth as seeing him, and if I were translating ESV version, version of the Bible, I make that a capital H and every pronoun that refers to Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit, a capital pronoun. Um, one thing I don't like about modern translations. He left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses couldn't stand seeing his fellow Jews suffer. In Exodus 2, we learn that he strikes, or light strikes down an Egyptian, kills him. And he runs in terror to the backside of the desert for 40 years. And then God meets him face to face in the burning bush and tells him to go back and tell the mighty Pharaoh to let his people go. His faith, we're told in our text, is seeing what is invisible. To know God by faith is the greatest gift of all. Notice this emphasis in our text over and over again. Seeing, seeing. Again, that's why we picked this song, Be Thou My Vision. To see Christ as he is. To have him set before us. 
at all times. Not as an image we conjure up in our mind or, or project onto the wall or put into stained glass, but to know the reality of the risen Christ by faith. Moses understood that God had accomplished this thing and had called him to do it. And weak and frail as he was and with all his objections, it was God who was at work enabling him to deliver Israel from the bondage and slavery of Egypt. To know God by faith is the greatest gift you could ever be given. If in this Christmas season we all, we're all concerned about giving gifts and receiving gifts, I think that's a wonderful way to celebrate the birthday of Christ because it's a reminder of His gift. What do you do when you get a gift? You say thank you. And, and that's what God, how God has called us to live our life before him. Moses understood if God was with him, nothing could be against him. How could he, this, this shepherd, called back from Midian after four years, do this incredible task. He could do it because he was given the power of God. He could do it because he was given the same power every child of God has given. And God calls us. He calls us to live by faith. Ephesians chapter 6, he calls us to put on the whole armor of God. We're, we're, we are covered with a impenetrable armor in Christ. And we're given the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to engage in this spiritual conflict. And understand, behind these real historic events is a spiritual conflict. And behind the events of your life, and your family, and our culture, and our country, and our nation, our state, our cities, is a spiritual conflict. But no less than the power of God is able to overcome. And finally we see that Christ is our Passover. It's by faith Moses kept the Passover and the, and the sprinkled blood and the destroyer of the firstborn wouldn't touch them. You know the story. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He wouldn't let the people go. One vicious plague after another came over the land and finally God said, put, put, put blood on the doorposts and the lentils. And we now know that that's the sign of the cross looking back to Exodus put blood on the doorposts and lentils and the destroyer, the angel of death will pass over every um, every house that has the mark of the blood on it. <coughs> they were delivered. We know the 
Pharaoh's hardness of heart for a moment, the people were let go and began their journey in the wilderness, which, which we will return to tonight. But never pass over God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. We're to look at it spiritually. It represents our deliverance from the slavery of sin. And it is only accomplished by the power of God at work in those who trust in him. It is at work in everyone who believes. I'm close by asking you directly, what are you looking at? What are you consumed with? What is overwhelming you at this moment? If it's anything less than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, high and exalted, and lifted up on the throne of heaven, I urge you to repent, to change your mind, change your attitude, and look to him. Be filled with confidence, not in yourself, but in the matchless person of Jesus Christ. And be rescued from the slavery and the bondage of sin. And be rescued to life. That's what God is calling you to today. Let us pray. Father, we pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit to be at work in each mind and heart here today. If anyone has yet to repent and believe and receive forgiveness for sins, we, we ask that that would occur. And we thank you for this joyous time to read your word and hear it applied and to fellowship with you, our brothers and sisters, but most of all, to look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And we pray in his name. Amen. Let's now worship the Lord with our morning offering.